Welcome back to The Pew, everybody. I am your host, John Edwards, and I am so excited to be bringing you another bonus episode of Just a Guy in the Pew. If you've been following us over the last couple of months, you know that we've added these interviews as a way for us to just enjoy time with some of our favorite Catholic speakers and presenters and religious, and today is no different. I'm, I'm really excited because today is the first time that we've had a female guest on the show, and it's going to be Sister Miriam James Heidlin, and I'm so excited. Uh, I've just had the, the blessing to get to know her a little bit over the last year or so. And I'm going to be bringing her up here in just a second. But first, I want to tell you a little bit about her. Sister Miriam James Heidlin is a former Division I athlete. She played volleyball in college. She had a radical conversion and joined the Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity in 1998. Her story's been featured on EWTN's Journey Home, and she's been keynotes of, of Seek, you know, with focus the last couple of years. She's been on all sorts of different media. Uh, she holds a master's degree in theology from the Augustine Institute, and she speaks regularly on topics of conversion, authentic love, forgiveness, healing, and sports. She likes to talk about sports, too. Uh, she's also the author of the book, Loved As I Am, and she's one of the hosts of Abiding Together. So without further ado, I would love to bring up my friend, Sister Miriam James Highland. How are you doing, Sister? <laughs> Hi, John. So nice to see you and to be with you all today. I'm delighted. Yeah, yeah. thank you, well. you so much. What a blessing to have you and, and, and what a blessing it's been over the last year to get to know you a little bit, you know, through Virtual Catholic Conference. And you've been so gracious to to host the, the, the last women's one we had, but you've spoken several times on them. And it's just been such a blessing to read the comments of, you know, the things that the lives have been touched by what, you know, you allow Jesus to do through you and and so thank you for that. And, and you know, I don't know that if you know this, I don't think we've talked about it, but I actually met you a couple of years ago at Seek. Um, I wasn't doing any of this at the time. I was working for uh, Cardinal Studios, this company that put together um, Strive for Matt Frad, his 21-day mm -hmm. detox of pornography. And so they sent me to Seek, and I was supposed to um, just have a table and find Matt and take these business cards. Well, I'd never been to Seek before. And so I, they're like, just go in the vendor room and find Matt and give him his cards and I walk in this room and there's like 4,000 tables and people everywhere. <laughs> I can't find him. And, and Dr. Scott Hahn was supposed to be speaking that year and getting an award at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I'm walking around and I can't find Matt and I'm looking for an hour. And, and all of a sudden as I'm about to give up and just go listen to Dr. Hahn, there's Matt right by the door that I'm about to go out of. So I give him these cards and I run in the room and, and I hear Dr. Hahn say, thank you. And he walks off stage and I was like, oh no, I wanted to, First time I was ever, you know, I could hear him live. I wanted to hear him. So I found my buddies I was with and, and you know, in the midst of 16,000 people, which was a feat of, you know, miraculous feat in itself to find somebody in that crowd. But I sat with them and, and I said, man, I can't believe I missed Dr. Hahn. I said, is there anybody, what, what's happening next? They said, oh, Sister Miriam's speaking. And I said, oh. well, who's that? And because I didn't know, I, I wasn't, I didn't know at the time, a lot of, of people that were presenters or speakers and I remember sitting there, we were about three football fields back in that room, you know, and, and, uh, there's this gigantic TV and you walk out and yet was the year you gave this talk on the gaze, the gaze of our Lord upon mm -hmm. you. And I, I, I was sitting there the whole time, like just looking at this TV screen, just amazed by what the Lord was doing through you. And, and so you did this wonderful, wonderful talk. And I got up afterwards and some of my guys were on the board of focus. So we went across the room to the, you know, or across the hall of the room where they keep water and all that stuff. And so grabbed a bottle and I walked back out and, and here you came down the hallway and I was like, Oh, I got to say something to her. Like that was just so amazing. And I felt like such a dork, you know, it's just like, I don't, I don't want to bother her. And so I, you know, and I'm six foot eight and you're tall, you know, you played volleyball and everything. So I see you coming and I'm like, I gotta go speak to her. 
So I walk up and and uh, and I just said like hi, <laughs> you know, I'm John, very hi. sheepishly. And you're like, hey, and, uh, just you know, shared with you some words about how touched I was by your talk. And mm. I remember you were just so wonderful. You said. Well, it's nice to finally find somebody here that's taller than me or something like that. You made some <laughs> kind of joke and took a picture with me, and I've still got that picture. And I find it funny that it, here we are a year later, you know, uh, after having spent some time together in multiple things. But it's just, you know, from that day on, I've always been just a fan of what the Lord does with you and, and through you with your podcast and everything else. And I just, as I, as I learned more about you, I started to learn about your conversion and the things that happened in your life. And found out that we shared some some struggles with addiction. You know, I had a drug addiction. You mm-hmm. obviously, you know, have spoken about your your issues with alcohol in college and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if we could start there today a little bit and just kind of let you open up and, and tell the guys a little bit about you. There's so many men that struggle with alcohol and, and lust and all of these things. And just wondered if we could start there for a minute. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that story. I, you know, it's just, it's beautiful how the Lord arranges things in Providence. And I, sure. I think even today as we're, you know, here, uh, even via technology of, of the Providence of that and just, um, praying intently of whom, whomever will hear this and whoever needs to hear it the most. And I, I just, I think first and foremost, I just want to start off by saying that you and I, our deepest identity is, um, is beloved mm. and, and one who's delighted in, and, I think so often we define ourselves by our failures. We define ourselves by our successes. We define ourselves based on what other people say about us. And the best that somebody can do when they love us the way God loves us is they can reflect the Lord's love of who we are. But it's only looking, we talk about the gaze. And I'm, 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 I'm everything I'm going to say to you today, I say it as much to myself as I say it to you because this is something I take very seriously in my day-to-day life of it's only looking at the face of Christ, you know, looking at the face of, of God the Father where we find out who we truly are and everything else that happens in life, you know, is a response to, you know, either grace or sorrow in those places. Yeah. But the truth is, is that, and I think that's, I think that's one of the, the foundations of life of, as we go through life, what we find is that I think as we get older and we also go more deeply into our hearts is that we find the truth that we are eternally loved, eternally delighted in, and, our addictions, um, our sin, the things that we go to, those are trauma responses. Those are those are the places in our hearts that have been broken often when we're little, like as little boys, like our little girls' hearts have been shattered. And so we spend the rest of our life trying to run away from those things or make up for them. And and really what Jesus wants to do is he Jesus doesn't come to fix us. He's not here to fix us. He's here to bring us into communion. Yeah. And that's a terrifyingly beautiful reality <laughs> because, because <laughs> as you know, um, communion is about intimacy mm. and it's about being seen and it's about uh, allowing the Lord and allowing ourselves to come home to the places that we don't like about ourselves, that those little parts that we just can't stand, the parts, the memories we don't want to think about Um I was just, I was talking to somebody yesterday who, or the other day who has like a raging addiction and they were, they wanted tips and tools of how to manage it. And I, I said, I can give you practical tools, but really the ultimately thing we have to talk about is your heart of, mm. of why, why are you doing what you're doing? Cause there's a good reason why you're doing what you're doing. And the person was like, well, I, yeah, this ha- a lot of happened to me as a kid. I don't want to talk about that. And I was like, well, <laughs> I, you know, I just, just to offer that to you, I think. 
I think we're going to have to if if because you know everything else is just symptomatic like we talk about what happens at the top of the tree right and the top of the tree are is our sin the way we cope the way we try to perform the way we strive the way I think especially as men the terrifying fear that you'll be found out as a fraud that you don't have what it takes that you're not strong yeah. enough that somebody's going to see right through you and they're going to abandon you you know, all the places that we have in our hearts and so all the ways we try to manage that, those are just symptomatic at the top of the tree. And and those have to be dealt with, right? Because they take on a life of their own. But I really believe in just all the years of work I've been doing this in my own life and just journeying with so many people. And I think you could testify to the same thing is that it's only until we get to the root of why we're doing what we're doing and what our hearts have been broken and not just once, but over and over and over again. And allow the Lord to come and and drain the pus, so to speak, out of that infected yeah. wound, the the rage, the fear, to to face our vulnerability there, and just to to allow Jesus to love us where we are most vulnerable and most dependent. That that's the key to transformation, and I know of no other way through. There's no other yeah. way through. No, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, that, you know, I spent a lot of my time hiding all of these things in my life. Yeah. You know, just not being secure in who I was when I went to college, you know, it's, it's, uh, when I talk to high school kids and stuff, I, they're juniors and seniors. I tell them, you know, I know you're excited about freedom and getting to go off to school and getting away from your parents and having your own say in your life and all that kind of stuff. But the thing is like, freedom's a good thing if you know who you are, but if you don't, it's, it's a very dangerous thing. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, when we're not rooted in our identity as beloved sons and daughters of God, and that's where we find our worth and everything else, we search for it everywhere else. And that's what mm-hmm. I did in college a lot was, you know, oh, if I drink, then you'll like me. Or, or if I yeah. smoke pot, then, then I'll fit in. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, all those things. Or if, you know, if I'm promiscuous, then I'm seen as cool, you know, whatever it may be. And I know you ran into some things in college, you know, where it sounded like a lot of the mm-hmm. same issues and and I can imagine the pressures of being a college athlete and those things too in those situations but I I couldn't agree with you more I mean vulnerability we talk about that a lot on the podcast and in in everything we do in the ministry here because with men it's just so funny you know the world has that definition of of vulnerability as it's unmasculine and it's weak and you're susceptible to attack and but God has that other definition that he told St. Paul which is my power is made perfect in weakness and yeah. it doesn't make sense, right? Strength and vulnerability doesn't make sense. But I believe it's exactly the key, as you're saying, to being able to open mm-hmm. up and to share. Because I hear a lot, too, from guys that I keep going to confession and, and, and you know, and confessing my struggles with pornography, for instance. Yeah. But I never stop. I never get better. I never, I never get to the root of it, really. And they never really say that. But that's what they're questioning mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. is I can't ever get to, to stopping this. And I think it's yeah. exactly what you're talking about is it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a symptom of something else. Can you mm-hmm. talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I, and it, it is really addiction really is a trauma response. And so it's like mm-hmm. us trying to either medicate or run away from something um, um, or try to, it, it's also a reinforcement of our own self-hatred because every single one of us, yeah. we know exactly what it's going to be like after we engage in our addiction. We know exactly what that's like. And so, yeah. and yet inside is this compulsion and, um, there's a wonderful, I have a wonderful mentor. His name is Dr. Bob Schutz, and he's given several talks oh, yeah. on some of your conferences. And And he says this, and it, it, the retreat, there's a healing retreat we give for priests called Holy Desire. And he has this saying, and I'll say it a couple times for you. And so I just want to offer it to, to your listeners. He says, behind every disorder desire, okay, so whatever that is, whatever disorder desire it is, whether from serious, to grave disorder desires to, to mild, I mean, all of us have disordered desires, desires that are not ordered. So he said, behind every disorder desire at the root is a good and holy desire. 
an unmet need, an unhealed wound, and a hidden pattern of sin. So I'll say that again. Okay. So behind every disorder desire is a good and holy desire, an unmet need, an unhealed wound, and a hidden pattern of sin. Okay. So for all of us in our life, if you look at all of us, you know, all of us, like we said, have disordered desires. And so they're coming from somewhere, but at the heart, if you look at what you're looking, I mean, it's like what Jesus says in the first, you know, the first thing he says in the gospel of John, he asks the disciples, what are you looking for? So, and I think if we could be really honest and this, we're going to, let's just, I, I'm, let's just be very honest about this. Okay. So if we could be really honest of what we're really looking for in our hearts, which is a hugely personal, intimate thing, that's going to give us a clue to the rest of what's happening. Okay. So say, for example, I mean, any addiction, but say, I mean, it's so, I know so many men struggle with pornography, for example, you know, behind that disorder desire, what's, what's, what's at the heart? Because it's revealed in, um, in, in the, in the unfolding of the heart? Is it communion? Is it intimacy? Is it power? Is it being seen? Is it being appreciated? Is it, is it meaning looking for like meaning and purpose and something like that? Um, and many times, um, even pornography where the heart has been broken is revealed in what kind of pornography somebody is looking at, like what's happening in your fantasy life. I know that's really personal, but really it's until we go into these places with the Lord and ideally with somebody who knows us, who can help us in that, that's telling us something about ourselves. Because many times, you know, pornography is a response to a man feeling powerless or a man feeling he wants to be affirmed or he wants to be received. And he's experienced deep wounds either as a child or as a teenager where the, there, were, there were lies inflicted in his heart or unmet needs, needs of affirmation, need, need, needs that show him that he's good, that he's a blessing, that he can do this and all these things. And so all those needs don't just go away. They just go underground. They go underground. And so... Like it's coming from like what what's happening in life. When did the addiction start? I know for me, my addiction to alcohol started when I was twelve, mm -hmm. and a lot of times for people, I was introduced to pornography around that age as well. You know, so it's like for for many of us, these these addictions start young and they grow in these all these places. And so what happens is, you know, then we become adults, and then there's a whole biological reality. There's neurology involved, where you know there's dopamine responses, and so you, you're dealing mm -hmm. with a multi layer a multi-layer kind of issue at that point, but really at the heart until we can understand like, what am I really looking for? And, you know, psychologists call it a window of tolerance. Like before we, even if, even if right now, whatever addiction people have, if they can't like go to that place yet, if you could just ask the Holy Spirit, right when you're about to do that, ask the Holy Spirit, okay, Holy Spirit, what's going on here? Like, what am I really looking for? Because I tell you, I mean, John, I don't know about you, but I mean, sobriety for me is a huge, it is a daily walk sure. and I take it very seriously. And I know myself, like I haven't had a drink in a long time. Thank And I'm so grateful for that. Like yeah. God certainly did for me what I could not do for myself. But I know very well when that temptation comes back around, it is not about alcohol. It's about a part of my heart where I'm afraid or an emotion I don't want to face, something in my life I don't want to admit to. And I have to sit with the Lord right there and say, okay, what's going on? Because I know myself too well to know it's not about it's not about this at the top. It's about what's happening in my heart. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's it certainly does. And I mean, I, I can remember looking back, you know, it, what happened in my life with it, just exactly what you're talking about, hiding things. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, running to it. And so the Lord, you know, I, I walked away. I, I was raised Baptist and, and uh, became Catholic when I married my angel of a wife. Uh, you know, yeah. she's, she's appropriately named Angela. So, you know, Angel's oh, a part of that name. That. But, but uh, yeah, th there was a part in my life where I just, where I walked away from him as soon as I joined a fraternity in college and all those things. And mm -hmm. then it was just hiding one after another, um, yeah. these things and not dealing with them. And 
you know, followed me for 17 years of my life. You know, these things mm-hmm. we think, well, this is just a temporary thing or I'll grow out of this or eventually I'll mature. And, and you really don't, you know, it's mm-hmm. for me, it came, you know, it, it came down to being arrested, put in jail on, on a Holy Thursday um, mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. you know, to, to getting my really hitting rock bottom and, and having my eyes open to the fact that like, this is, this is not normal. This is not okay. This is, you've known this for a long time and it's time to deal with this. And, and what you said earlier is like, I, what I've done on my, you know, stopping with my addiction has not been anything I've done on my own. Only Jesus can do that for us. And that's the truth. I preach that to people all the time. They, they say, well, don't you ever have, you know, an inkling to do cocaine again? And I'll say, look, you know, I'm in the car and Eric Clapton's cocaine comes on. You know, there's a, a, a the hairs yeah. on the back of my neck will stand up every once in a while. Yeah. But but I look over at my children. I look at my wife. I look at where Jesus has taken me in my life. And I go, I, no way would I ever give this up. Like, no 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 matter how strong that is. Um, and and a lot of it, you know, we talked to the guys about this too, is is this temptation versus sin. Like you said a minute ago, um, you know, when you come to that point, pray to the Holy Spirit. And I think so many of us fail in that moment because we look at temptation and sin as the same thing, right? You yeah, say, well, yeah. I thought about it, so therefore I've got to do it now because I've already sinned. Mm-hmm. But if mm-hmm. temptation was sin, they would call it a sin, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It's an mm-hmm. opportunity to choose, right? Uh, to choose virtue yeah. or vice. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's where we struggle a lot is, is guys mm-hmm. have that built in their head. No, I've thought about it. I've done it. I've already, you know, look, looked at that woman in this way in my mind. And mm-hmm. now I need to, you know, I might as well go through with the act or whatever it is because, mm-hmm. because I've already sinned. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's such a struggle where so many people fall and fail. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. And I mean, temptation is like, you know, a scent on the breeze, right? And it's where yeah. it's where the enemy comes to 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 whisper lies to us, where the enemy comes to take us out. And it's also it reveals also places where our hearts have vulnerabilities, right? Where mm-hmm. uh, just where our hearts are open to those places. So just kind of noticing what happens because the enemy prowls like a roaring lion. And I just I just was with an exorcist a couple weeks ago. I was giving a retreat uh, to his seminarians at the diocese. He's a rector at this diocese. And he said something, John, that I've been thinking about every day sense. And I I really believe it's true. He says that after doing so many exorcisms and working with people, he said he really believes that the enemy, when he wounds us, he said, it's not arbitrary. He said, your deepest wounds. He said, think about your deepest wounds. He's like, those are not arbitrary. Those, the enemy's like a sniper. Satan is like a sniper on a hill who is trying to take you out at your deepest places where he knows you're going to be most life-giving. And so he said, most of these wounds happen in childhood. So if you think about your deepest wounds as a little boy and mine as a little girl, like came from being, um, you know, given up for adoption and, you know, being conceived out of wedlock to high school students and putting in a foster home and then being sexually abused. Like, I mean, you just, I like, those are not arbitrary. Like those are where the enemy has come to, to steal, kill and destroy, to take us out. And he is absolutely relentless. And so that is why there, that is why there's no coping mechanism. There's no, like, I'm just going to get over this. The only, the only way to salvation is through it's through the cross it is it is allowing all these things to come to the surface it is allowing every moment of our life to be brought into christ healing power there is no magic formula there is no seven (laughs) steps to a better life it is you know this like it is the paschal mystery it is you and i getting up every day it is us going through life with the lord it is us allowing him to reveal our hearts it's you know facing the deepest places of our brokenness and the places where we're trying to do it on our own where we're self-reliant and 
and where Jesus wants to come and love us, where we're most vulnerable, most dependent. Why? So we can live a life like him because he he is vulnerable and dependent on the Father, and he's also strong. And he shows us what it means to be human, especially for men. He he shows you what it, what does it mean to be a man? And he, you're looking at the man, Jesus Christ. Like, what a stunning, like, that's so glorious, we can't even fathom it. It's just, it's just amazing, you know? Yeah. No, you're exactly right. And that's, <clears throat> excuse me, that's what I, when I talk to men about this stuff, I, you see, look at the person of Jesus Christ. Like if, you, a lot of times he's painted as a meek and, and, and very, mm-hmm. uh, almost weak appearance sometimes in people's yes. eyes, but he's such a strong, just virtuous man. Cause it takes so much more strength to live in the way that he did than just to live as a, whatever you want, doing what you want and, and taking what you want that kind of what society tells us today, right? Like do what you want, get what you want. Don't care about anybody else. It's all about you. Sort of the message that men hear today. And that's why we see so many men that we're struggling for promotion and power and money and things and everything else, because that's what the world tells you it takes to be a man. But Jesus shows us, you know, vulnerability. We've talked about it a couple of times here. And and you look at it and go, that's gross, man. I'm a tough guy. I'm a big guy. I've got to be the alpha dog when I walk in the room. I need everyone to know what a man I am. But yet Christ yeah. is sitting here and he's crying in the garden, right? I mean, the, mm-hmm. most, the most vulnerable man you've ever seen is a guy on the cross hanging like this, saying, here's yeah. everything that I am, right? Everything that I am. And and I think that when men find that vulnerability, they find freedom. I, we've we've found that in our, in our men's ministry here is just, uh, even the night when we started a group at my parish, I mean, that was the Lord prompting me to walk in a room full of men one night and tell them everything that had happened in my life that none of them knew. Mm. And that night, every single one of them stood up and started saying, I'm addicted to pornography. I smoke weed and my wife's about to leave me. I'm a terrible mm. father because I spend more of my time with money and work and all these things. And yeah. and it just freed these men. And so when we look at Jesus, that's what I tell guys all the time is, what is he doing? When you're reading the scriptures, like, what is Jesus doing? What what virtue is he projecting? You know, what is he teaching people by the way he's living? Like, don't just read it as black words on a white page, but look at what he's trying to show you and what he's um, what he's experiencing or exemplifying in that moment. And, you know, that's something that you and I were talking about before we came on air that we've, you know, the men here in, in, that are following the ministry, a lot of them are doing this narrow road program that we started that's on virtue. And, and you know, humility just happens to be this month. And, uh, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't miss this opportunity to, to ask you about that. You know, just the role that humility plays in healing, because a lot of this stuff that you're talking about, you have to either be brought to your knees, either the Lord brings you to your knees or you're introduced to some sort of humility in your life to where you say, I need you, Lord. And I think that's where so many men, especially say, I, I don't need anybody. I, if I can't do this on my own, if I can't figure this out, then I'm not a man. You know, so many men that are my age, I'm 42 and older, that's sort of the mindset our fathers had was just, you know, work hard, never complain, put your head down, uh, you know, don't ask for help. If you do, it's weakness. Uh, No one cares about your problems. Don't have emotions. Just figure it out on your own. And so we walk around as like these, you know, one-man armies through life. And this is where we get caught up and we fall and we have this pride that wells up within us because we've been taught all our life you're a failure if you can't do it on your own. Mm-hmm. And so as, as I found out, you know, the hard way, and as I'm sure you you found out in your life in different ways, humility seems to be the key to starting a lot of this healing. And I was just wondering your thoughts on that and, and the role that humility's played in, in your life and in the things that the Lord's done in your life. Yeah. Well, thank you, John. No, that's so well, well articulated, obviously, this the struggle of men. And I think that's one of the the 
the consequences of the fall in the garden, right? Where Adam is now tills the soil and he's by the sweat of his brow. And it's like, he's by himself now, right? It's not, it's not, it's like, that's the break in the garden was like, he feels like he's all alone by himself and now he's ostracized. And so, you know, you see men turn to work, like men are more linear thinking, they're more outward thinking. So you see them turn outward. And now it's like, instead of being in communion with God and Eve and creation, now he's by himself. He feels like he's by himself. And I think that's the, for, for men, I think especially that's a perpetual way where the enemy, where Satan is the, the sniper, where he comes to tell you that, that here's what masculinity is. That you have to be independent and self-reliant and you can't have any, or, or, or you're like kind of a blubbering mess. It's just, it's just like this <laughs> characterization of really what, what masculinity is, which is the, the beautiful thing about, of who Christ is. As you know, he comes back as the new Adam where he is in the garden, like he's literally the gardener coming to mm. through the sweat of his brow, water the garden and, and you know, changing the, the the thorns into into beautiful things. And so I think especially for I think it's especially difficult for men to really talk about these things, you know, and to really understand what's happening. And, and you do feel like a failure, like if I ask for help, I'm a failure. And so I think understanding the truth of who we are and how like you're saying how Christ shows like Christ shows us how to live um, because humility is really nothing more than living in the truth. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It, it, it's living in the truth of who I am, who I am and who I'm not mm. of, of who God is, of who other people are. It is the reality that I'm meant for communion, that if God is a family and I came from God, that means I'm meant to live in communion. So that means the isolation and self-reliance and self-protection, all those things mitigate against what it means to be truly human and truly alive and truly life-giving. You know, because you look at the masculine genius, for, for a man, his masculine genius is to be, to use his strength to bring life to others. Yeah. To use his physical, his emotional, his his psychological strength, his spiritual strength to lay down his life so the bride can live, so others can live. That's the That's the genius of a man. And so he's called to do that in communion, to make a gift of himself in communion. And so Jesus isn't a lone ranger. He's ne he's never alone from his father, and he's never alone from the Holy Spirit. And he's never, I mean, even though he goes to pray with his disciples, he's always living in communion. So he's showing us what it means. And so the places in our life where I think th those are great, you know, kind of telltale signs, the places in our life where we're like, nope, okay, I got this, or I'm going to control this. As soon as we ha start having to control something, it's already, it's a sign that, wow, we've got some, you know, areas that sure. we're just trying to manage on our own. And, and Jesus Christ did not come to earth and suffer and die to teach us how to manage. He hmm. came to earth and he suffered and died and he rose again. So we could live life to the full, which means that our hearts are totally open. We are open to every emotion, every experience of our lives that we're not running from places in our hearts anymore, that it's all laid out on the altar so Jesus can come and, and touch and heal and bring every part of it into communion. And then that's humility. Like where we where many times, I don't know about you, but I'm just reduced by my own poverty. I just sit at the foot of the sure. cross and I, I, and I, like, I just can't fix my, I'm like, I can't fix myself here, Lord. Like I, I need you just to come and love me. I can't, I can't do this. Like, just come, like, come and love me. And like, those are tremendously vulnerable places, you know, that we all have where we just, I just need you to love me here, Lord. I don't love myself very much right now. I just need you to teach me. Like, I, I need your love here. And gosh, he's so gracious, John. Like, I've, Jesus is so, he's so beautiful and he's so kind. And like, just how he, he's so respectful of us as human beings. Like, he's the most respectful man I've ever met. And like, how he relates to us and how he sees us. He doesn't see us as a compilation of our sins and our brokenness. He sees us for who we truly are and he speaks life over us. Like it's, that's the God we serve and who loves us.
like that's who loves us you know yeah amen sister what a man what a blessing you got me crying over here (laughs) oh man thank you for your vulnerability in that that is so true i mean we uh, you know as men and women i don't care what what gender you are we all feel that right where you just feel that that shame and that guilt and that loss and and we just feel so unworthy and and you know, we, we, a lot of times we look at God as just this, and, and a lot of times it's because the way we were raised, I mean, our upbringing, like you said, we, maybe we had our parents that were very, you know, authoritative and judgmental and, and, and it, that's the viewpoint we have of God, right? Is just this, there's no way he could forgive me. I, I remember, um, you know, along this, this story of what happened in my life, you know, I, I was already doing the drugs and things and was given this beautiful gift of Angela and then children. And I kept thinking, you know, this will stop, this will stop, this will stop. Mm-hmm. And then my mother died of cancer right there in the middle. This mm-hmm. beautiful holy woman that was in church all the time and the nicest person in the world. And I remember, like I told God in this driveway, the, the one time that I went to a doctor's appointment with her, I just had this feeling one day I need to go to this appointment. You know, they lived out of town a couple hours out of Memphis, but she came here for her cancer appointments. And and it had been several years. She'd been fine. She always, you know, it was always in remission or, you know, it, it, it moved away and, She'd had good checkups, but this one day I, I decided I needed to go. She'd had a heart issue and had to stop the chemo for a while. And when I walked in, the doctor uh, had walked in right after me and said, you know, it's moved your brain and you've got a couple of weeks or a, a couple months left mm-hmm. to live. Mm-hmm. My father was there, this giant of a man that the you know, first time I've ever seen him cry. And I remember in the driveway that day, I, I went back to their house. They still had a house here. They were trying to sell to move to their other place and, you know, I was just devastated. You know, I thought like, here I am, this guy that's, I'm a liar and I'm, you know, I'm addicted to pornography and I'm doing all these drugs and why do I get to live? And somebody like that gets to die. Somebody Mm. like that has to die. Why do Mm. good people like my mother have to die when scumbags like myself get to Mm. live? Like, that's exactly Mm. what I said. And I remember kicking the porch and and just, which wasn't smart because it was cinder blocks and my foot was not, (laughs) but I remember kicking it. And and yelling just like, God, I hate you. Like, I hate you. I'll, I'll never love you again. I'll never worship you again. Like, you have, I had been 10 years alone of my own doing, walking away from him. But I remember that day saying that. And when I was brought to my knees in that arrest and jail cell on Holy Thursday, and I remember that. It just washed over me. And I, and I thought, Lord, like, I've lied so much in my life. Now at least everyone will know the truth. But like, how could you ever love me again? And I felt this just overwhelming feeling of love, like this God that no matter what I'd said and done to him, he was still there, right? And this image I'd had in my mind of this God who was just had his back turned away from me and was disgusted by me was always standing there like that father and the prodigal son waiting and yearning for us to come home. And I think that's such a, I think so many people struggle with that is seeing God in this way of, he could never love me if he's known what if he knew what I've done, which is insane if you think about that, because he knows everything. He was there, he knew you were gonna do it before you're born. He was there when you did it. And all he does is wait for you to turn back to him and see that he doesn't have this grimace and this hateful look and and he's not there with a whip or a or, or a belt to punish you with. He's there to hug you and to love you and say, I'm so glad you're home, right? And 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 I think that's what you're 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 feeling there when we go to those vulnerable places and that we have a God no matter what. That, like, look at the links of what he did. I mean, today's the day after Easter and, and what he did for us. And and a God who who is judgmental and who is disgusted by you and who doesn't love you doesn't go to those links yeah. <laughs> to bring you home. And it's such a tremendous, 
you're so right. Like God and, and Jesus himself are so loving and amazing in all of that and the links that they've gone to just to, to make sure that we know that. Yeah. Yes. That's so beautiful, John. And that's, yeah, those places, right. The honest places where we're like, oh my gosh. And, and, and the truth of it. And that's really like what you're talking about. You're talking about humility of like, yeah. you know, here's what I've done or here's even how I define myself or here is how I've been defined. But here's what the Lord said. The Lord, the Lord, you know, St. Julian of Norwich says that when God sees our sin, he sees our pain. Yeah. And so he, he see, he's the only one who sees us totally. Like he, he sees us better than we see ourselves. Like, I don't even understand myself half the time. Like forget about everybody else. You know, it's like <laughs> he sees me. So he, yeah. he will speak the truth to me in love and he will remind me of who I am and, and call me to the deepest part of my identity as beloved daughter and you, as you as beloved son. And, and this is the truth. And this is, this is the beautiful thing about knowing Christ. Like we can't just know about him. We have to know him because he's alive. Yeah. He is alive. And every day he's revealing himself to us. Like he's teaching us who he is and who we are and who other people are and what life is about. And, and I love it. I often say like, I love it because Jesus, he shatters the paradigms that we have of God. Because yeah. for most of us, our idea of God is not too big. It's far too small. And it's comes from the little, it comes from the little tender places of, of childhood, of, of where we form judgments about ourselves, about other people, about who God is. And many times we can be chronologically 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, and we're still operating out of a, a, a very fractured view as, as a child, a five-year-old child. And so what the Lord is doing, he's tenderly coming to heal those places so, so we can grow with him. As St. Paul says, we can mature in Christ so that we're rooted and grounded in love. And when we know who we are, and that's a lifelong journey, we're rooted and grounded in love, then the rest of our life will flourish. And so this is why we always talk about going back to the roots. Like it's always going back to the roots of like, Lord, what is happening here? You know, heal this place. What am I looking for? Heal this place. Because that's the truth, Right and come and, and speak to me. And that's what Jesus says. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And it's not just intellectual knowledge. It's not just a theological knowledge. It's the, the know, the intimate knowing of, of Jesus. And when I know Christ in a place in my life where I didn't know him before, it sets me free. It yeah. sets me free. And that's how it works. That's exactly how it works. Well, it's the beauty of our faith journey, right? It's just like in a, in a budding friendship. Like even you and I in our interactions of the last year, each time that we get to spend a few moments together, we learn more about each other. We, you know, yeah. we, we, we become more friendly. We, we become more mm -hmm. comfortable with each other. And, and that's the way it is with Christ. You know, we, so often we look at like, well, I converted, right? I was baptized or I've been confirmed and that's it. I'm, I'm Catholic now, I'm Christian and I'm good for the rest of my life. But it's this constant mm -hmm. conversion, this constant seeking of the Lord, right? To where I just, every day I wake up and, and I hit my knees and I, I thank him for allowing me to breathe and for everything that he's going to do in my life that day, the good and the bad. And just say, Lord, I, I want to know you better today. Like, let me find something else in you that I didn't know. Show yourself to me in some different way today. And it's that constant chasing, right? That that chasing after the Lord, who's always, by the way, chasing after us too. It's not a one-way yeah. thing. He's always, it's like a game of tag. You're running after him one minute and then he's coming after <laughs> you the next. But it's just, it's that's the beauty of our faith. And I think so many times we just think like, Catholicism and our faith is just another thing we do, right? I got to go to the grocery mm -hmm. store. I got to go pray for a minute. I got to go to mass for a minute. But it's just, just this whole intertwining of our life. And it starts with that humility because that humility is, is I, there's a God and I'm not him, right? Like I, mm -hmm. I, I need, I need that God in my life. So I surrender and leads to trust, which leads to that love and that relationship that you were talking about so beautifully. And, 
And you can see it on people that, that have experienced that. Like, sister, there's no way for you to hide when people see you that you know Jesus, that like you know him, not just about him and can give me the details on a, you know, bullet pointed, you know, details of his life, but you know him intimately. And it's just, it's such a difference in our faith. And it's hard to explain that all the time to people. It's like, it's something you have to feel and you have to invest your time in. But it's the difference of when you see someone on fire for their faith. And I don't mean like that they're a speaker or something, but just yeah. people that are living as a living example of Christ's light in the world. It, that's the difference is that relationship that they've come to know the risen Lord and that their life is never going to be the same. I love that line from The Chosen that that uh, Mary Magdalene says, like, uh, you know, when, when Nicodemus is asking if she would if she knew him, if she saw him again, and she says, yes, like, I will know him for the rest of my life. I, I was one way, and, and now I'm different, and all that happened in between was him, right? And it's such the story of our life, and our Lord wants to be that for each and every one of us if we're humble enough and we allow ourselves to surrender and, and, and to say, I need you, and I, I want to know you and actively mm -hmm. seek that in our lives each and every day. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so true, John. It's really very simple, really. You know, it's, it is really simple that the God is very simple and, <laughs> and he always pursues us. He's always inviting us. Every response we have is just that it's just a response. And mm. he waits to be invited. He will, he will speak our language. He will sing over us. He will draw near to us, but he's so respectful. He will not force his mm. way into our hearts. And you know, just he's so he just gently invites and invites, and he's just so gracious. And so, yeah, it's a matter of us. Uh, what is our response? You know, how will I respond now? You know, yeah. really, ultimately, a Father Jacques Philippe says this, and a lot of other very well wise people. You know, so often in our life we say, you know, why does this happen to me? Why, why me? Why this? Why this? And and those are natural questions. And and sometimes on earth we get answers, and sometimes we don't. But really, the ultimate question that to ask ourselves is not why does this happen to me or what's wrong with me? Really? The question is how will I respond now? Yeah. How will I respond now? So like as our viewers today or listeners today hearing, and I'm sure they've thought of, you know, we've all thought of many things in our lives over these last 30 minutes we've been together, like many moments or maybe points of roots might be issues or things like that. And, and the question that all of us can ask ourselves in the Holy spirit is like, how will I respond now? Like what, what do we want to do now? Like what's, what's the next right step? I believe all of us have a next right step. You know, and mm -hmm. and that that journey is the, the continued journey. And that, like you said, this, that's the journey of love. That's that's the journey of love of the continual discovery of the other and allowing our hearts to be opened and discovered. And it's it's a grand and beautiful adventure. And, and you know, in good times and in bad, and sickness and in health. And and this one is forever. It's for eternity. Yeah. And it's the best one ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, you're Father John Ricardo. I remember I was watching something one day, and it was. Uh, a program that he was doing in his parish, uh, Our Lady of Good Counsel, when he was still there. And uh, I, I will never forget, he showed a video of, of um, Save It Private Ryan when the older man mm -hmm. is walking into the cemetery at the end. And, and he's thinking about all the things that have been done for him. And he, he said, this is the way that we should walk into the church every single time, that when we see that tabernacle, that we immediately are overwhelmed with what's been done for us. And not just overwhelmed, but the response and ever since that day, I mean, I've tried my best to remember to do it. I mean, I'm, I'm human, so I fail a lot. But when I'm sitting there praying afterwards, you know, I always, I just want to say, Lord, help me respond, like to what you've done here for me, to what we're reminded here again that you've done for my life. And, and not, you know, obviously his sacrifice on the cross, but uniquely to how he pulled me out of the gutter that I allowed myself to fall into 
in my life and just Lord, let me respond. Let me respond to this. And so I was just reminded of that when you when you brought up the response there. Uh, Sister, I know we're coming to the end of our time here. I, I wanted to give you an opportunity. Um, just, you know, I remember the first time we talked at, at the first virtual Catholic conference a year ago when I said, Sister, would you like to speak? And you said, yes, but I want to speak to the men. I don't want to just speak to the women. And I was yeah. like, all right, I hear you. Okay, we can do that. You're the boss. Whatever you want to do is fine with me. You're saying yes. I'm cool with it. So um, I just I want to give you an opportunity here. We live in these crazy times now. You know, I hear from guys all the time that are struggling. In fact, I'm giving some talks over the next couple of weeks, and the, almost every single one of them have been, can you talk to us about how just men in the pandemic and how to continue to be the man that we're called to be, and we're lonely and it just at our wits' end of all this stuff. So I want to give you a second here just to, like, if right now, what would you say to men in anything? What would your message be to men right now when you look around the church and there's still continues to be a, 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 a lack of male leadership in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Uh, men are, are still living in the worldly sense instead of the spiritual sense. What would you say to men right now like, in your message today that you want men to take away? Yeah. I, first of all, I would say to you that your, your masculinity is not toxic. It's glorious. Like Amen. your masculinity is a glorious gift and men, we need you. Like we need you to be the men that Christ has created you to be. Like your strength, your vision, the way your emotions are ordered, your your willingness to fight, your willingness to to see the long term picture, your willingness to protect and to provide and to be a blessing to to offer wisdom, to offer guidance, to offer care. Like we we need that. Like we we need you. We need you. And you see the strategic attack on men and masculinity so prevalently in society right now. It's because we have really no idea the true gift of what masculinity is. Mm-hmm. And that revelation of how God loves us, of how God protects, how God God prepares a place so that we can be at home. Like This is the heart of a man. And when a man knows who he is and he sits in his rightful place in the home in society in the church then order is restored it's like aragorn in the lord of the rings you know when mm-hmm. when he takes his rightful place order is restored but when he abdicates that throne out of fear or he abdicates it out of dominance where he's trying to dominate in a way that's crushing instead of life-giving chaos reigns and you can see what has happened and so my heart for men is the restoration of of the glorious gift of who you are. And that glorious gift is found first and foremost in your time with Christ because he's going to reveal you to yourself. It is also revealed in how you give the gift of yourself to women in your life, to to men in your life, to your kids, to your families. Like how you show up to life every day matters. And so people ask me all the time, like, sister, how can I be a better husband? How can I be a better priest? You know, how can I be a better coworker or whatever? And I say this in total truth, the best gift you can give your family, your marriage, your church, your coworkers, the best gift you can possibly give them is to allow Jesus Christ to come and heal you every single day. That is the best gift you can possibly give them. And gentlemen, you are alive on earth for a time such as this as men. And that is such a good thing. It is such a good thing. Amen. Thank you, sister. Thank you so much. Guys, you know, we've been blessed with this time. If you are a patron of the show, sister is kind enough to join us for a few minutes there. We're going to do an extra interview like we do a lot when we do these interviews. Uh, if you're not, you can sign up to be a patron of the show at just a guy on the pew.com slash support. But guys, I want you to go out and check out more of what sister Miriam's doing. Get her book. Uh, check out her and her friends on Abiding Together. They're amazing. Uh, it's not just a show for women, just because there's women on it, right? Like it's, it's for guys too. So go and enjoy that and everything that she does. Sister, you're such a blessing. Uh, you have been in my life and I know so many others. And I just thank you for being so gracious today uh, with your time. 
Thank you. Thank you, John, so much. Can I recommend two books? Would that be okay before? Sure, yeah, depart? please. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would love to recommend uh, the number one book I recommend across the country for people is called Be Healed, and it's by Dr. Bob Schutz. And that is that is hands down the best book. Bob Schutz is a marriage and family Catholic marriage and family therapist for about 40 years. And his book, uh, The Restoration of the Heart, of it, it's just outstanding. So I would highly recommend number one, Be Healed. And it's just a wonderful book to journey with. You can do it as a book study or by yourself. The second book, book I would recommend is by a Christian therapist named Jay Stringer. And the book is called Unwanted. And it's about healing sexual brokenness. And so he talks very honestly in there about what the roots are and about the manifestations of sexual brokenness and what your heart is actually seeking. It is such a good book. And such a hope-filled book about the healing of sexuality, especially for men. So Unwanted by Jay Stringer and Be Healed by Dr. Bob Schutz. So I just yeah, wanted to Dr. Bob Schutz is a gift. He was on here yeah. a couple of weeks ago. He's he's amazing. And and I know you yeah. do that work with him at the JP2 Healing Center, and they do retreats yeah. specifically to help people heal. So go check that out too. Sister, yes, could JP2 I ask Healing you to, mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Thank you for that. Could I ask you to, to pray real quickly over the folks as we leave here? Would that be okay? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'd be delighted. Let's do that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we just thank you for how you love us. We thank you for seeing us and revealing yourself to us and who we truly are. And I just ask a special blessing upon all of your sons here, Lord. I just pray that you would heal them in the places of their hearts they need it the most. I ask you, Jesus, that you would reveal to them the glories of being men, of their hearts, of where they belong, of who they are, their strength and all the ways you've created them. I just pray also, Jesus, for deep healing upon each one of them and all the places their hearts have been broken, where they have been dismissed or not listened to or not valued, not affirmed, places they might feel hopeless or despondent. I just pray, Jesus, that you would come right now with your healing love and you would come and heal those places. I pray that you would unite them as brothers, that they would be a brotherhood of men walking together, Lord, toward eternity. Just pray for and it's just a special blessing upon all of them. And we ask you, Mother Mary, you you whose heart heals, you whose beauty heals, I pray that your beauty would heal each man, that your maternal, beautiful, healing love would heal them. I pray, Mother, that you would watch over them, that you would bless them and protect them. And we just thank you, Jesus. We thank you for everything that you've given us. And we just ask that our hearts would be open to you, draw us closer to your heart, to your home, to where we live. And we just make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Sister, what a joy it is to be with you. And Yay, thank you for thank all you. the wisdom you shared and just the, your, your vocation in your life. Uh, I really appreciate your time, and I look forward to being with you here on the next segment in a few minutes. Thank you. Thank you so much. God bless you all. Happy Easter. Right. <laughs> you too. <laughs>